Jambase is pleased to present Clusterflies, a covers compilation reimagining Fish's album Farmhouse, bonus songs, and revamped tracklist. The limited edition 3LP release was mastered by engineer Joe Lampert and includes custom artwork and a poster created by longtime Fish collaborator Jim Pollock. A pre-order is underway now through May 3rd at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Visit www.clusterflies.com for purchasing information as well as full album credits and trackless details. Among the artists who recorded Fish covers for Clusterflies were Umphreys McGee's, Brendan Bayliss, Club Delph, Daniel Donato, Sylvan Esso, Chris Forsyth, Neil Francis, Jennifer Hartswick, Amy Helm, Lindsay Liu, Reed Mathis, White Denims, James Petrali, Strand of Oaks, Sadler Vaden, Vetiver, William Tyler, Riley Walker, and a supergroup led by Tim Palmieri. Each of the songs on Clusterflies will be featured via daily episodes of the Jam Bass Podcast, with interviews with the musicians that recorded the cover. This episode features Bug, which was covered for Clusterflies by Strand of Oaks. episode of the Jam Bass Podcast Clusterfly Series. I'm Andy Kahn, and today we'll be digging into Fish's song, Bug. Tune in tonight, Tuesday, April 27th at 7 p.m. Eastern, to Sirius XM Fish Radio for an episode of Crowd Control featuring Timothy Showalter of Strand of Oaks and the premiere of his Clusterfly's cover of Bug. Like fellow farmhouse track Heavy Things, the song Bug was first introduced to the public by the band Amphibian. One of Amphibian's members is Tom Marshall, the longtime writing partner of Fish Guitar's Trey Anastasio and co-writer of Bug. Bug was written the weekend of October 10th, 1997, during the third of four retreats Trey and Tom held that year that produced most of the songs that ended up on 1998's The Story of the Ghost, and later on Farmhouse when it came out in 2000. Trey and Tom had asked Fish staff member Beth Montori to help find a quiet place to write and record some demos. After two weekends at Mountain View Farm in March and May of 1997, in October the pair retreated to another location in rural Vermont called the Kaplan House, described by Montori as small but having great 360-degree views of Vermont hillsides up in the Green Mountains. Marshall talked about his experience with Trey co-writing Bug on an episode of the Under the Scales podcast, which is now part of the Osiris podcast, Undermind. Here's Tom, along with co-hosts RJB and Thibaut Thomas, talking about writing Bug. This was one that I just talked about when Mike asked me about songwriting. So at the end of my um, Mike podcast, which uh, he was on Under the Scales in February, um, we talked a bit about getting obsessed in the studio. And Bug was the example I used, and Trey and I overdid it a bit and tried some weird studio effects that ended up taking a lot of time uh, and didn't really contribute to the, the, the music or the song. And for us, time is the, is, is the commodity because it's hard to schedule three days together for songwriting. It's even harder these days, but it, it was starting to even get hard for us to sync up our lives back then in uh, 97 when this one was written. Um, 
but it's still a priority in our lives to, to, to songwrite, and we love it. But we try to maximize our songwriting output, and Bug simply took too long. And if you listen, we'll play this version, um, and this, again, is uh, from the original 1997 version in Stowe, Vermont. Um, and if you listen carefully to the first verse, you can hear our voices bouncing back and forth from your left ear to the right ear. Listen in headphones. And we changed on every single syllable in the first verse. So even like a song like, There've been times that I wonder, and even wonder as a two-syllable word, word is broken up from the left ear to the right ear. so time-consuming that we were kind of getting uh, almost to the point where we threw the song out. And uh, I'm so glad we didn't because, it, it, like you said, it, it really it really came out, it turned out to be a great song. But for a while, it was like the cause of consternation. And uh, as you can see, uh, I'll read you the list of songs that we did during that session. Normally, there's about 10. This one, there's only four because of all the time we, we <laughs> wasted. And it's Farmhouse. Bug, Blue and Shiny, and Sleep. Though written in the fall of 1997, Bug wasn't performed in public until Amphibian's show on February 3rd, 1999 at the Princeton University Campus Club in Princeton, New Jersey. Structurally and lyrically similar to the version played by Fish, one noticeable difference is the overrated chant that appeared in the Amphibian version of the song. Here's what the public debut of Bug sounded like when Amphibian played it that night in New Jersey.
the first time Trey Anastasio performed Bug was on May 8th, 1999 at the University of Wisconsin in Madison that I was lucky enough to witness in person. That debut came during a mid-tour stop on Trey's first solo tour that consisted of solo acoustic opening sets and fully electrified second sets with Trey backed by drummer Russ Lawton and bassist Tony Markellis. Trey's introduction of Bug came as the second-to-last song of the second set at the Oscar Mayer Theater. It was the last of several new songs Trey debuted that spring on his solo tour, telling the audience that he and Tony and Russ had just figured it out that day. Trey also cautioned that it was not to be confused with the reggae-tinged Windor Bug, that along with Bug made up a Bug duology. He then discussed the relationship between himself and fans that allow him to try new things, like playing never-before-heard new songs. Trey referenced back to an incident in the first set when the guitarist flubbed an attempt at playing Billy Breeze on piano and had to restart the song. Trey had earlier revealed that he had decided to play piano at the encouragement of Neil Young, who told him that doing so would prevent the audience from getting bored from watching him just play guitar. Here's what Trey said that night in Wisconsin before playing Bug. Thanks, we're going we're gonna to do a uh, brand new song that we just figured out today. Yeah. It's called Bug. Not to be confused uh, with Windora Bug, which is this other reggae thing. Uh, part of the Bug duology. We could do them both, actually. <laughs> first, which is called Bug, and this is a world debut. I think I feel very, 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 very lucky to have an audience that, and friends and fans that come and that, that encourage us to do new things because, you know, if it had been showtime at the Apollo or something and I'd gotten up and messed up the piano like that, you know, they would have had the hook out and you know, people going. But the thing is that that, that kind of encouragement, you know, and, and creating an atmosphere where we feel like we can try new things is what keeps us trying new things, you know what I mean? So. You know, I think about, you know, the person who just kind of came off the street, doesn't know anything, you know, hasn't seen fish before, or hasn't seen, you know, this kind of whole scene, and then, you know, I get up there and I'm messing up on the piano and everybody's like, not throwing bottles and booing me. They're probably kind of scratching their head, you know, wondering what's going on. Anyway, I appreciate it, really. After Bugs debut. Trey again spoke about the new songs, detailing his experience going on the writing retreats with Tom Marshall that resulted in many of the new songs of that era. As I mentioned, and as Trey explained, those sessions were at rented farmhouses in Vermont, where he and Tom would hole up and create new songs together. Here's Trey again from that night in Madison after debuting Buck. Tunes, if, if you guys, if it's okay with you, it's getting kind of late. I know, but uh, anyway, there is a curfew. But uh, 
Let me just tell you something about that song, because it was kind of, uh, not that particular song, but Tom Marshall, who writes most of these songs with me, or pretty much all of them, my kind of writing partner, and I um, went to this, this farmhouse about, well, it was at the end of 1997, so it was, God, it was almost two years ago, but we spent seven days in this farmhouse, and uh, it was a really, really cool and special time for the two of us. We kind of checked out. And um, all of these tunes, a lot of these new tunes and a lot of the new tunes that Fish are doing all came from that, that one seven-day period. The, the first tune that we wrote was This is a Farmhouse, you know, uh, which I sang acoustic. And um, that song, Bug, and, and a lot of stuff on the story of the ghost all came from this, this one writing session. So I want to do this one other tune now that also came from that, that we've been doing the last couple of nights. Uh, it's called Heavy Things. And, uh, that also came from that, that, that songwriting session. But I just kind of wanted to send that out, so Tom's not here, but he's always with me in my Trey, Tony, and Russ played Bug again at the next show of that tour on May 10th in Asheville, North Carolina. Completing the Bug duology mentioned in Madison, Wind or Bug followed Bug that night in Nashville. Along with the debut in Madison, those were the only two times that Trey and that early incarnation of the Trey and Anastasio band performed Bug that May. Many of the songs Trey debuted to receptive audiences on that May 1999 solo tour also wound up as part of Fish's repertoire. While many that were played more often than Bug, like Heavy Things and First Tube, would have to wait until the band's fall 1999 tour to make their Fish debuts, Bug, which again was only played twice on Trey's solo tour, made its Fish debut on opening night of their 1999 summer tour at the Sandstone Amphitheater in Bonner Springs, Kansas. The same night, back on the train, and the Cicadis instrumental outtake, My Left Toe made their Fish live debuts. Let's listen to a bit of Bug from the 1999 summer tour open. happened to be there to see Fish play Bug that night for the first time publicly. But unsurprisingly, I wasn't at the private party held at Trey's recording studio, The Barn in Vermont, a few days earlier that fans call Carry Stock. The June 24, 1999 event, also known according to Fish.net as the fifth ball, was a rehearsal of sorts for the upcoming summer tour, with members of Fish's crew largely making up the audience. Some of the other audience members were working nearby filming the movie Me, Myself, and Irene. The star of the film, actor Jim Carrey, was in attendance. Hence the Carry Stock nickname. And he sat in with Fish at the end of the first set on Bachman Turner Overdrive's Hey You and the Beatles Come Together. Assuming Carry stuck around for the second set, he would have seen the band's first semi public performance of Bug, as well as its previously mentioned duology companion Windor Bug, and the farmhouse tune back on the train. A supposed first hand account of Carry Stock was documented on the now defunct fan site folktales.com, 
According to someone identifying themselves as both a Fish fan and a member of the Me, Myself, and Nyreen crew, it was Fish bassist Mike Gordon who ran into Carrie and the film crew while out in Burlington, resulting in Carrie inviting Gordon, himself a feature film director, to the Me, Myself, and Irene set. When Mike was on the movie set, he invited Carrie and the crew to Trey's barn for the pre-tour rehearsal which led to the events now known as Carrie Stock. According to the supposed first-hand account, Carrie, quote, got up and sang Hey You with them, and then they sat down, and they played Meat Stick. Somewhere in the middle of Meat Stick, they realized they were playing Come Together, and Jim got up and sang that along with some made-up lyrics that were hysterical. Longest Come Together in the history of music. It was jamming, and it was funny, and it was fish magic. End quote. Bug was performed by Fish a total of 12 times in 1999, including during the Midnight to Sunrise set on New Year's Eve in Florida at the Big Cypress Seminole Indian Reservation. Fish played Bug another 13 times in 2000, leading up to their first hiatus that began in October of that year and lasted through 2002. When Fish returned for their first post-hiatus tour in February 2003, the two times Bug was played, it sounded much the same as the previous 25 times it had been pre-hiatus. But by summer 2003, there was a small but noticeable change in the way Fish sang Bug's chorus. On the Farmhouse studio version, early Trey Anastasio band versions, and pre-hiatus Fish versions of Bug, the chorus featured a simultaneous call and response where half the band would sing Bug, It Doesn't Matter, and the other half would sing Bug, Don't Need It. Starting in the summer of 2003, Fish dropped the It Doesn't Matter portion of the competing chorus, eliminating the different overlapping vocals in favor of singing together in unison. Here's how that new arrangement sounded when it debuted on July 18, 2003, at Alpine Valley in East Troy, Wisconsin. Listen closely. I think you can hear Paige start to sing the It Doesn't Matter part. Bug has remained a regularly played part of Fish's live repertoire. It's a somewhat rare song in that it can show up seemingly anywhere in a show, appearing in first and second sets, as well as often serving as part of an encore. Noted Fish fan Timothy Showalter, who performs as Strand of Oaks, jumped at the chance to cover Bug when we approached him for the Clusterflies project. Strand of Oaks' cover of Bug premieres tonight, Tuesday, April 27th, at 7 p.m. Eastern, on an episode of Sirius XM Fish Radio's Crowd Control. Showalter hosts the episode of Crowd Control featuring his cover of Bug, along with some of Tim's favorite fish jams. I recently talked to Tim about his early introduction to fish, later life fandom, the inspiration for his version of Bug on Clusterflies, and more. So I'm here with Tim Showalter. He recorded Bug for our Clusterflies project here. And uh, Tim, you know, you and I, we've talked before a couple of times about fish and, and how you've come to be, be, be an admirer and, and a fan sort of later in life. But I wanted to kind of go back and ask you, you know, what were your initial impressions of fish? Like before the sort of coming around to, and becoming a fan? That's a good question. I actually... took some time to think about that just for my own. And 
I realized I fell in a strange generation. I was born in 1982. So I was, I, I think... You know, granted, obviously, people my age have been into him, but I think for me, it was it was a it was a lot of like ships in the night situations mm-hmm. where I remember being, uh, um, maybe like in middle school, and there was uh, we were friends, we had neighbors who had four girls, and we were three boys, and kind of the ages stacked up. So the oldest daughter, she was probably five years older than me. So she was traveling with fish. I remember hearing the name fish, you know, even when I was, you know, in like 1995 or 94, 95, probably when they started playing Deer Creek, you know, around that time. But her name was Jana and she, she, I remember she would just talk about fish all the time. And, but I was still way too young. I was, you know, like I was 13 or 14. And then my older brother I'm pretty sure went to the fish show at Deer Creek that they played rhinoceros at. So that would have been, so he was, yeah, That's he a, was into them and like widespread panic and stuff. But the, the issue is, as I got like, I, I think if I would have met the, a person my freshman year that was into fish as opposed to meet someone that's like, you should listen to modest mouse. <laughs> and so it was like, I went down this course and then by the time I was kind of like, uh, I guess had some kind of money or an adult enough to go travel around and stuff, it was right around when they were breaking up. Sure. So, so that was, you know, I, I was 21 in 2003. So that would have been, you know, right towards the end of that era. So it just, and then for that period between, you know, I just was digging deeper. So I'm actually... I, I, I've come to this realization that I'm extremely thankful to find them now or in the past however many years because it's similar to like when I discover m- new music now, there's a confidence in yourself and like your your own existence that you just can openly love something so much more pure without thinking of expectations or what does the scene do? What do people wear? And I used to think about that when I was younger of like, Oh, I got to fit in. I got to do this. And there's just a freedom that I found of just not caring as much about those circumstantial things. So I can truly just enter into fish with a, with a purity that I'm, I, I have a, I, you know, and I don't have any of that, uh, uh, FOMO. I've said that word a lot. I learned a new word, but FOMO of like, you know, of course I wish I would have been 18 and getting to see, you know, I could, I would have been 18 at, at big Cypress, you know? So right. it was like, of course I wanted to be in, but I was a kid in small town, Indiana with like working at a grocery store. So, you know, it was like, I, I didn't yeah. have, I didn't have a way to do it. So now at 38, it's perfect. You know, I, and, and it's, it's the same situation as my wife, you know, she was, she's a little bit younger than me, so she wouldn't have ever had an opportunity to, you know, see them until this time. So I just, uh, I don't have any regrets. You know, I, I really like where I've found my way in life, but I think it was, it was almost as if my music habits and everything, everything that I gathered and every band or song I'd heard were kind of building up to being a fan of fish because it's such an immense world of, mm-hmm. you know, I, 
I, I, I like minutia, you know, I like yeah. every tiny detail that, you know, I can hear about it. And I've, I've retroactively bought the, the manuals, the fit farmers, farmers. farmers almond. Almond. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and the thing is, and you and I have discussed this before, like if I was 25, I would be extremely scared and concerned that I was going to mispronounce a song or not know the right information right. or like not know. But now it's like, I don't know. I, 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 I'm not, I don't have a lot of bandwidth left in this very somewhat fried brain. So <laughs> I just kind of openly engaged to it, you know, like, and, and it was weird though, to be honest, I knew a lot more about their albums because my brother loved Billy breathes. He absolutely loved like that era yeah and so like when it came time to do this cover like i certainly remember listening to these albums but not in the context of a jam band i just like oh these are cds that my brother had uh, right just and alternative would, rock yeah that's exactly yeah. what it was mm-hmm. it's the same way i heard widespread panic and stuff i didn't i didn't associate them with the just like I, I associated Grateful Dead with American Beauty. You know, I was like, that's the right. one record it, that was at my library. So mm-hmm. I never, I never knew about the culture of, of it all. And I could kind of just, so that's, that's what it, I guess that is true with fish. Like I kind of heard the records, which is completely seems backwards that, you know, not aware mm-hmm. of like, Oh, they're playing in Deer Creek three out, two hours away from my house. The greatest shows ever. I could just drive there. But, you know, it was like, yeah, I was. That's, always- a, that's interesting. I mean, I, I don't think that that's a, a typical entryway to fish. Uh, yeah. You know, um, or at least if it is, it then tends to, if, if you become a fan, leads to the live tapes and stuff. Because um, I absolutely knew Bug. Like I knew I, I, I that's why I was so psyched that we were yeah. when that came up, because there's, uh, you know, and. I think you like the cover that I did. I, I like to, I, I don't really see genre in my mind, but I, at the same time, blend them all together. So when I hear fish, it, like you said, it's like, Oh, that's an alternative rock band that, you know, my brother had, but then I also hear fish in a context of like a pretty wide musical knowledge. And I sometimes hear fish of like, Oh yeah, this is this, I associate some of these songs with like Manchester 1988. I feel like this is Happy Mondays and I want to say Stone Roses. I wish Ian Brown would just shut up and just, you know, but like I hear Trey's playing and I hear John Squire from the Stone Roses a lot. Like I hear Fool's Gold and Sand. And like when I hear, when I heard Bug, you know, Bug is just a solid song. It's just such a, such a solid song that i love you know it could be a pavement song it could be a like a killer smashing pumpkin song if it was changed Mm -hmm. a little bit but what i heard is i was like i want to make i want to make bug into like what would happen if the happy mondays and trey like hung out you know and that like there's so much of like you know when they when they're in the the ultimate like reba or ym Prague, you know, just the shift shape shifting world. Mm-hmm. I love that. But then they also get to that world of just like, this is just, I could lock into this very pretty simple groove yeah. and very similar chords to what I use in my own song. And I could just hear this for days if it's, 
if it's that, you know, DCG pattern or something, it's mm-hmm. like, that's my wheelhouse. And, and like, I, I played the, I'm not, I, okay. I, I try to play a solo. I, I liked the solo, but I was like, <laughs> I did a solo on it. Cause I'm like, whatever. I love Trey. And, but I also hear there was this guy throb that played with uh primal scream. Uh-huh. And um, he was a magnificent guitarist, like Johnny Marr. He was one of his favorite guitarists. And so I was drawing a lot of parallels between Trey and British, British kind of like uh, rock rave music, ecstasy rock that was happening uh-huh. in like the late 80s. You sent me that song Primal, by Primal, Loaded by Primal Scream. And, and I was surprised that the... the the similarities to Pug, like it, it, oh, I, I wasn't, yeah. I wasn't familiar with the song, and and it kind of blew my mind, and um, so so I know that was kind of helped influence your arrangement, right? Absolutely. And I I feel like there's a there's a particular thing where uh, DJ culture and rave culture uh, there was the MPC it was a Sakai sampler yep. and the this particular sampler uh, had Roger Lynn who did the Lynn drum machine and uh, he was a big part of making this sampler and it had this swing function on it that you okay. could shift slightly. And it, that's how you would get things like that beta band song that uh, uh, dry the rain, dry the rain, and mm-hmm. and certain kind of like Happy Mondays songs and uh, Fool's Gold a little bit by okay. Stone Roses. Again, shut up, Ian Brown, please. Just <laughs> come on, man. And uh, but uh, it's like there's this swing that I I I in my somewhat wilder days is kind of like the. It's a chemical swing that's like like sand is a perfect example. Like sand right. is just someone could play if like they would have if they would have played sand at uh, like a pre show for, you know, Oasis, early Oasis shows or a mm-hmm. band like that. They would have those kids would have lost their minds if totally. that would have been put on at a DJ set or something like yeah, that. Totally. So I, I, I just love to blend worlds because I hear and I know that Trey, everything I've learned about Trey, he's the same way. You know, he'll take Genesis and blend it in with, you know, like a kiss riff and then have like, you know, somehow Frank Zappa's living in there and mm-hmm. a Latin influence that he has. And I, I think my favorite artists are probably I like them because they think similarly to me of yes. of of just you know they don't see any boundaries they're like well i can take i i love all of these things and i can incorporate them all into my 
you know, even with the version of Buck I did, I there are moments when Paige just is like I call it like that two thousand one, uh, not the song, but in the movie when they go through the portal at the very end, <laughs> mm-hmm. and like sometimes when Paige hits the right synthesizer, he he is he's such an excellent uh, curator of sounds. Yes. Like within his within his setup, he will have moments where I'm like, okay, you're using a Yamaha CS70. Like I've played that keyboard a lot, but he somehow found the perfect sound within that. I think he's got a CS80. Actually, I'm not sure, but I mean, he just is he his song sound choices. And so, like when I was doing Bug, I was. I probably got a little too excited and like I wanted to see if I could make one of those portal moments. And then I was like, I'm not going to mm-hmm. stop this song yet. I'm going into the portal for a while. Like I'm ready to just like Hell get yeah. on this spaceship and go. Yes, sir. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> and, and you definitely did tell me. So how did you record it? Well, I did it. It's, it was kind of like a, uh, proud moment for me because I that's how you hear that song is very similar to how all of my albums sound before I go to the studio mm-hmm. it's like when I don't and they I think they've grown past demos but sure. like what I do is I create the entire for my records you know I create them to the level of what you hear with what I did on bug so in my house I have very minimal setup but I just have you know, back to Trey, Trey did a rig rundown and he just said like, it's not the kind of gear you have. It's just how you know your gear. And that I I should get that. I should write that above my desk because it's like, know what you own instead of just gathering things. And I use logic. It's a very simple recording program and I've used it since heal. And, uh, I've, I've just, I don't know. I don't know how to do it technically, but I know how to do it for me. And, and I can, I've, I've worked really hard of like, you know, I, I've, I probably utilize 5% of its functionality, but it gets the job done for me, but it's, uh, um, it's kind of neat because it's kind of the first time where I've done something where it's, uh, it's kind of a window into how everything that I make sounds up into a certain point. You know, of like, oh, this is if someone would to hear the demos of the past four records that I've done, this is how actually, no, I think it got better. I think I learned how to use it better over the course <laughs> of this uh, pandemic. I learned about oh, yeah. mixing and and uh-huh. sounds and stuff. And and I used to think you, if you put 10 big things on top of each other, it will sound big. <laughs> and then I learned, oh, no, sometimes the collection of small things equal up. larger yeah. package <laughs> so like there's tiny little acoustic parts and there it was actually an enormous file like uh there's because sometimes when i'm in the studio i i try and be like okay let's take a step back but i'm like mm-hmm. i get to cover fish it's it's an incredible song i'm not taking a step back with like subtlety will not no. be the thing for this oh no yes <laughs> Yeah, it, it it turned out great. Um, I, I really love the vibe to it. I love the the, the groove. You you definitely found that groove. I think that um, we were talking about before. Are there were did it did you have very many like iterations of it, or did you find it sort of right away? I made the beat first because okay. I heard that uh, 
that like boom because with beats like that if i if i could drum actually that would be the only beat i could play because i call them like forever beats that yes it's it's got that thing and then that feel to it and then you could always add either a fill by drumming or you can or you can just keep it almost like a like a the drum part never changes. It's what you do around it that changes. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I've had a lot of fun. Um, I think at this point I've become a better bass player than guitarist, which is which is kind of awkward with Strand of Oaks because I'm like, well, am I going to be the bassist in my band now? But um, but I had like if you get a beat like that, and if you have a chord progression like Bug is, it's just it's just begging you to have so much fun with. Yes especially bass like and you know i i say this i don't it ne- doesn't need to be said that i'm not the caliber of musicians that fish are but i still can do what is at my best you know hope for or excuse me i can i can kind of you know i'm not intimidated anymore of that musicians are better than me i'm just inspired mm-hmm. by that instead of right. intimidated like wow they're sure. so good i wonder if i could try to do that thing and even by trying to play like trey i did i played faster on my guitar than i ever have i was like oh it helps to just be like i'm gonna try and play that a trill like trey does on the guitar and it's not trey but it's it actually just made me a better guitarist by trying to sound like him well so so that leads me to what's going to be my last question and and so when shows come back What's it going to take to get Oaks to start throwing some fish tunes in their, in their well, set lists? That's, I think, to be honest, I had covered Dirt before. And right. I actually think Bug is a better served song for Strand of Oaks to cover live. I, yeah. I, I, I would much, I, I think like, like just for what Strand of Oaks sounds like and where I want to go, I think Bug is actually a perfect, like, mm-hmm perfect song for for the feel that i want and it actually is a kind of tempo in a song that i haven't written yet so it would f- feel really nice within a strand of oak set to have like yeah, yeah. hey we're get, we're we're grooving and we're not like getting pummeled <laughs> with you know like yeah. it'd be a it'd be a really nice like like six songs into a set <laughs> kind of Hell thing yeah, to start man. doing well, I I, ex- I will expect it when when you finally are able to to play some gigs again, man. Yes, I, I, I'm I'm hoping to there to be some tapes <laughs> and, and some, oh, some maybe like a I twenty minute yeah, tape maybe like a twenty minute version. I want a twenty minute version of Bug. All right. Yeah. In the in the I couldn't. The one thing I couldn't explore because I don't have a real drummer is I also started hearing a kraut rock thing to oh, happen okay. which is deeply in fish too of just like oh, yeah. i heard like a noy moment that could happen at the end there and i've got um my my drummer that i have now in america he's he's very good at those kind of drum parts so i i'm just ready to be like do it let's do it sounds sounds like you need to work up an arrangement yeah exactly <laughs> but i i mean again to all you guys it was a, it was a absolute pleasure like i it was somewhat during the dog days of the pandemic yeah. when I got to do this and it was, it brought a lot of joy to me. Well, so it was, it was very fun. You were definitely one of the first, if not the first to, to come to mind when we started kicking around ideas for the project and we were so stoked to have you be part of it. And, um, 
Thank you. All right, man. Thanks so much for talking to me. Thanks, man. That brings an end to this episode of the Jam Bass Podcast Clusterflies series. Many thanks to Tim for chatting with us and for participating in the Clusterflies project. Be sure to visit Jambase to hear Strand of Oak's cover of Fish's Bug and visit www.clusterflies.com to purchase your copy of Clusterflies today.